when we are thinking about decluttering and it's something that is challenging for us, our brains immediately jump to the most difficult items to get rid of and the most special or the sentimental. Our brains fixate on that and go, no, 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 I'm not getting rid of that. No, no, no. Welcome to the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Whether you are someone with ADHD or a learning disability or just curious to learn more, come hang out with us in the lounge. I'm Alex. I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD at the age of eight, and I am the founder of Capable Consulting. And I'm Katie, founder of Women and ADHD and host of the popular Women and ADHD podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45. You can also find the two of us over at the ADHDlounge.com, our all-in-one ADHD coaching community. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the world of ADHD, discussing unique challenges, sharing our personal stories, providing support and resources, and bringing in experts to help us along the way. So grab your favorite drink, maybe a croissant, grab a seat, or start walking or cleaning or however you listen, because at the ADHD Lounge, you can come exactly as you are. Okay, well, welcome back to the ADHD Lounge. Alex and I are super excited to be joined today by Kayleen Kelly. Kayleen is a professional organizer from Jacksonville, Florida, and she's had a knack for organizing and redesigning spaces since she was a little girl, and now she specializes in chronic clutter, ADHD, and trauma-informed care. Kayleen has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Apartment Therapy, Real Simple Magazine, Good uh, better Homes and Garden. I mean, there's a whole host of other media outlets. You can find them on her website. Uh, but And as of this recording, Kayleen has almost 800,000 followers on TikTok. So welcome, Kayleen. We're very excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and chat all things ADHD. <laughs> I love it. And also, um, the reason her videos are, are in how many followers she has is because her videos are so pleasing and they just bring me a sense of calm even in the chaos I just I want to watch because I feel better and I know that whatever you're doing is with care and with love and you're not judging people and that's why when Katie and I were talking about different topics I was like if I'm going to bring anybody here to talk about decluttering like this is who I want so very excited that you're here I would love to know you know how did you even get into this business because a lot of people tell me like ADHD, decluttering, there's no way that goes together. There's no way that anybody knows how to organize who has ADHD, which I know is complete BS, but I'd love to know like how you even got started in this. So I started the business in 2014. I was 28 at the time and I had worked in so many other different fields and I never found anything that I was good, that I really enjoyed. Um, I actually got fired a lot. <laughs> um, I think my lack of time management and my ability to focus, a lot of ADHD symptoms, uh, now taking a look back, uh, were at play there. But I just knew that I was really good with customer service and working with people. And I got to the point where I like kept being passed up for promotions. And I'm like, if I'm going to do anything with my life, I need to start a business. So I thought of a natural skill that I had that I could turn into a marketable service and organizing came to mind. 
And my sister, she had asked me, cause I'm like, I want to start a business. And she said, well, what would you want to do? And I said, if I can just go in and help people declutter and make a beautiful space and coach them through it and do before and afters, like I would love it, but that's not a job. And through researching, found out it is a job and a booming industry. So it really started taking off in the early 2000s. I got in in 2014 and, you know, there's two sides of the professional organizing industry. You have the stylized aesthetic kind of home edit, and then you have the behavioral side. And I just jumped in and I very quickly found myself on the behavioral side. So chronic clutter, stress, anxiety, depression, like that's working through trauma. That is where I found myself um, when it comes to the industry. And it's been nine years. And so I did the hands-on, still have the hands-on. And then I started an online educational platform via social media about three years years ago, because I really just wanted to take it to the next level and not just do the work myself, but teach people how to do it because it's a, it's a learned skill set. So yeah, that's, that's where I am now. I'm even glad that you mentioned that there's two sides to decluttering because I think people with ADHD only see the aesthetic piece and that's what they're clinging to. And that's what they think is what they need to be doing, that it has to quote unquote look perfect. And you're like, no, 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 let's break it down. Let's get to the source of why it's hard so that we can create systems that are efficient and sustainable for you so that it feels good. Cause that's what you are essentially trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much pressure. You type in hashtag organizing into any social media platform and you get these perfectly staged photos of color-coded fridges and you know just they're I call them sets they're just they're sets and designed to kind of make you feel less than and that you're not you're not hitting the mark and my job like I just want to let people know that like that's not real life (laughs) that's not real humans living in lived spaces and so breaking that that image of, you know, what organized living looks like. It's really not about what your space looks like. It's how you feel and how you function in your space. That should be the focus and your goal. It also makes you not only feel bad about yourself when you see those things, it actually sets you up for failure because it is not sustainable. And I I love that you're like helping people live in their space. So if anyone hasn't followed you, which by the way, they absolutely should, because I mean, I love following you. I've been following you for a while, but I, I think it would be really cool for people to know, you know, you mentioned like you put together these kits. I know Katie and I were talking about like, what is your core four method? What is this method that helps people really get into this? So core four method, it's what I developed over my career. So it breaks it down into four simple steps. All starting with C because I love alliteration. So it's clear out, categorize, cut out, contain. So we apply this in 
every space, big or small, I don't care if it's closet or a 13,000 square foot home, we apply this method. You start with one room at a time. What happens is we get overwhelmed and we lose focus. So you always start in one space and you apply the method. So the first is say if we're doing your main bedroom closet. So we're going to go in there and the first thing is clear out. So that does not mean remove everything from the closet. What that means is remove anything that doesn't belong in a closet. So when we are disorganized, things tend to travel to places that they don't really belong. And we want to clear out and focus on what does. So if you find toiletries or anything for an office, whatever does not belong, we pull it out to be addressed later. Then we go into step two, categorize. I want you to be able to see everything you have to prepare you for the decluttering. So I want you to see all of your t-shirts, all of your jeans, all of your dresses. That is so important and preps you for step three, cut out. This is where you're making decisions using my three second rule, which we'll get to. And it's so much easier to make decisions when you can see everything you have. It eliminates a lot of those, but do I have this or I'm, un I'm uncertain, I'm unsure. You can assess, take a look at your inventory and make quick and confident decisions. So that is the cutout. And then once you've made those decisions, you've eliminated what you no longer want or need, that's when you go into step four, contain. You take a look at your available storage, what you have, and create a functional layout. Whatever that is best for you in your space. Every space is different. Everyone's inventory is different. So there's not one cookie cutter way. So it's all customized for your needs. So that is the method in a nutshell. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think is very common with those of us with ADHD is having that out of sight, out of mind issue, right? Like I'm looking around my desk right now, and I have the deal with this now pile. And then that gets too high. So then next to it is the no seriously deal with this now pile, which then trumps the old pile. But I know that anytime anything gets put into file system, it's deep store like I'll forget it exists. So is that some how do you how do you deal with the, the fact that we need our piles? We need things visual, but at the same time, knowing that we work best when the clutter is put away. <laughs> I think that's even people calling it doom piles. That's literally what it is. Yeah, the piles, right? We Everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say the piles, because it's like, you know, and we I fight with my husband all the time where I'm like, don't put that away. I need that, right? Yeah. And I think it really boils down to you have all of these concerns when you don't have a foundation in place. Once you're able to implement and give yourself that structure of everything does have a home, everything does have a place, it makes it a lot easier to function. Then you have the level of the visual cues and the visibility. Unfortunately, we can unless you take off all of your doors of the cabinets and everything, things are going to be stored behind our view. But for me, in my office, you know, my office supplies have a space, my paperwork is filed away, but I still have piles on my desk, but they're manageable. And I have a system where, you know, if it's active, it's okay to have a pile, but it's 
manageable. And then once it's no longer active and it's paperwork, it goes into the filing system, which is very simple. I don't have to work too hard at it. It's easy to maintain. So if you're looking at it from a point where you are currently disorganized, then it's going to be very challenging to come up with a solution without that organization. You need that foundation. And then you customize it. And if you need a little bit of a pile, that's totally cool. That's fine. If your desk looks messy, but it functions well for you and it's, it's not taxing, then that's fine. Enjoy the piles if they work for you. Mm, yeah, that comes back to something that Alex and I talk a lot about with our clients, which is the system that works for you is the system that works for you. <laughs> um, yeah. So actually, I want to backtrack a little bit, because at, at what point during this whole journey were you diagnosed with ADHD? So my diagnosis did not come until 2021. So I was on ADHD TikTok, ended up there somehow. And I you know, started putting the pieces together. And I'm also diagnosed type 2 bipolar. And the comorbidity between the two is like 50%. And so I started collecting data and putting it together. I went to my psychiatrist and I said, hey, I think there's something here. Like, can, can we test for this? And very quickly got that diagnosis. And um, I posted on TikTok and I said, so turns out <laughs> why I work so well with the neurodivergent community is because I am neurodivergent. And so many people said, oh, you didn't know that? I knew that. Right. <laughs> why is that always the response? Yeah, I know. I feel like that is always the response. And yes, we all find each other some way, shape or form. Even TikTok, I say, I'm always like, we're like moths to a flame when it comes to TikTok. So you're like, you wonder why there's so much neurodivergent content on TikTok. It's because we're all neurodivergent. <laughs> it's like, the creative space, the interests. Yeah. Did the personal diagnosis change anything for you in terms of how you worked with clients or what kind of language you were using or um, just your own insights? It made everything make sense. It really, really did. Because there, when I got on social media, I was a little insecure because there was this in, in the media, social media, you know, a professional organizer is those perfect spaces and everything neat and tidy and put it away. And that just was not my, my vibe. And so I was a little insecure about bringing my style to the forefront. And showing how I lived in my space because I am a messy creature and I always will be, but I'm highly organized. So it's very easy to reset my space. So I was, I was nervous to film of like how I organize or to show the way the solutions that I provide to my clients because it didn't always hit that mark of like, a beautifully organized space. It was functional. It can still be aesthetically pleasing, but it was functional. And when I got the diagnosis, I was like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is how my brain works. And it's all about how the space functions. It's less about the aesthetic and just the pieces started falling together. I used to do a lot of research before the diagnosis of, I want to be able to help a lot of my clients for some reason have ADHD and I have no idea what this means. So I want to be able to help them. 
you didn't notice that you had ADHD after all that research for your clients? Isn't that so funny? No. Well, I'm an organizer, so how can I have ADHD? So a lot of just misunderstanding. And so it really put all of the pieces together and it made me feel more comfortable in the service that I provide. I'm like, okay, I've got my people now and I can talk to them the way that I feel most comfortable. And so it became, there was just a divide with how I was communicating to my social media platform and then how I was communicating to my clients. And so it just made that transition. It was, it it just all came together and I felt like I belonged. And I felt like I could put a name to the service that I provide. Like, this is geared towards and friendly for the neurodivergent community, but it still works for the neurotypicals. Like, it's just a system that works for everyone. Totally. I I feel like as you're doing that research, you're probably also noticing that there is a very common thread of what people with ADHD were struggling with. And it might not have been what you were struggling with, but I'm curious if you're like, this is something that always comes up or not always, but even comes up enough that you're like, I had to figure out a system that made more sense. So I think that is how my declutter three second rule came to be. Uh, Because in the decluttering process, once we got to that step three, where it's time to make decisions, people would just freeze up and start to get really overwhelmed, really stressed out, question their decision-making like ability and the, the delay, the decision fatigue, all of it came into play. And I'm like, okay, how can I, how can we make this as easy as possible? And so I started, once we got to that part, I wanted to take the pressure off of them as much as possible. There's already a lot of pressure when you're faced with a pile and it's like, okay, make a decision. Do you want this? And then you have someone sitting there saying, do you want this? There's a lot of pressure. And so I'm like, let's just do this. Try to make a decision in three seconds. You can see all of your t-shirts. Let's go through one by one. Try to make a decision. It's either a yes, you keep it. No, it goes. If you hesitate for more than three seconds, it's an automatic keep. No punishment. Like we'll just keep moving on. And the sense of relief that I saw come them because it's like, wait, if I, if I hesitate, it's an automatic keep. You're not going to take it away from me. Like, no, there's no punishment here. We just want to see progress. So just try, and I say, you know, just try to make a decision from your gut. You can see everything you have. You can compare, you can see if you have 19 black t-shirts or not. So let's just try to make quick, confident decisions. And it took the pressure off. There was no penalty for indecision. It created this kind of like game. Have have you guys heard of Pinch, the five pillars of motivation for ADHD? No. Yeah. Katie's looking it up. I can already tell. (laughs) No, I'm writing it down because I'm like, I love a good acronym. What is it? (laughs) So it's play, interest, novelty, competition, hurry up or urgency. I love this. Okay. All right. But I've never heard it said that way. And I love it. I, I was just going to say, I do all of those things, but I, didn't, I have never heard of it actually iterated that way. 
Yeah. So those are the the five pillars of motivation. It's what ignites our brains to be motivated to do any task. And so I think the three second rule plays into a lot of that. So it kind of creates this sense of like a game of just yes or no. And let's see how quickly I can get through it. That sense of urgency with a time limit. Um, so it just, it, engaged the brain and it eliminated the pressure and in doing so they started to see like oh this isn't as difficult as I I was overthinking it the entire time look at that big pile of things that I just said no I don't want and I thought it was going to be a struggle it just it took off so much pressure and then it started to build their confidence. And so we would do one round and then, okay, let's take a look at your genes. Oh, this is going to be hard. Just do it. Just first one, like yes or no, you know, hesitate, automatic keep. And then you just saw that momentum going and these piles growing. And I always say, you know, if you're not 100% ready to let it go, it's an automatic keep. Like, we don't want to regret any decisions, like, just 100% ready to let it go. And it's just a trick and a tool, a technique that has helped. And I go into these situations where people are completely overwhelmed by clutter and just piles and piles, and they're working through trauma and mental health conditions, and they start to gain that momentum and they go, this is so much easier than I thought it would be. And it's because we have a method, we have that structure, we focus on one step at a time and we have techniques that make it easier on our brains. So I really think that's how like the three second rule came about and the core form method, just simplifying everything to, okay, no, we're just working on step one. Keep our focus there. We're only working on step two. It's a lot of self-monitoring and management, but there's structure there and there's guidance. And how did you get people to drop that perfectionist mentality? Like, am I doing this exactly the way Kayleen is expecting me to do? Because when you're taking kind of these programs and someone is not standing over your shoulder and not holding you accountable, you're doing it yourself. It's like if you veer to the left or veer to the right, somehow it's not going to be the same. How do you how do you give people the space to say, like, again, it, if this works for you, that's the part that matters? I think for social media, like my main message is dropping those perfectionist tendencies and just really focusing on not what it looks like or what you think it should be or any kind of outside pressure. What is going to work best for you? When I work with someone one-on-one, the energy is a very laid back. And so I think that helps them feel more comfortable in the process. And then I create systems. If it's someone that I know is not going to, just needs like a functional system and isn't going to maintain a color-coded closet or they're not going to pair their socks I'm not going to implement that. So I'm kind of setting, I'm setting up a system that I know that they're going to be able to maintain. And it's as low maintenance as possible. And then I show them like, hey, okay, this is where your leggings are. And 
we don't have to worry about rolling or folding them. They're just going to be tossed in there. They're like, oh, I can just toss them in there? Yeah, yeah. No fold is gold. Like, this is totally, it's great. And other clients, they, you know, feel more secure and tidier if their leggings are folded. So cool. Here are your leggings. This is where we fold them. And so it's just doing whatever is going to be best for them and kind of giving them permission to set it up however it's best for them. And that's my main message on social media. And I show that I don't pair up my socks and all of my athletic wear and comfy clothes are not folded and it's beautiful. It's easy and it's okay. It doesn't have to be like what you see in magazines. It doesn't have to be the way that your mother taught you. It can be whatever you want it to be because it's your space and it's your stuff. I, I love that you said didn't fold your stuff. Love it. Cause I have a client that he was saying how his wife get, got so mad at him for never putting away his clothes. And we were talking about all the steps in which went from the laundry to the basket to just sitting on the floor. And I said, what's the barrier? He's like, I can't find anything when it's in my drawers. It just, I, it loses itself when it's in the baskets. I can see it. And I had him buy clear bins and that's what he did. He like labeled it like shirts, pants, whatever. He eliminated a lot of the clothes that he wasn't using anymore. And it was like that. And then in addition, he had hooks in his closet instead of like actually putting up hangers because it was like outfit for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was just like out and he could visually see it and eliminate it. And he was like, but isn't that weird? I said, do you like it? Are you done having fights about like clothes being on the floor? He's like, yeah, we haven't fought about it in a while. I'm like, sounds good to me. That works. I, I, you know what? It doesn't have to look good to somebody else as long as it's functional for you. I think that that's really important. What's weird, if we're going to use that word, is trying to live in a space that doesn't work the way your brain works. Like fit a round peg into a square hole or square peg square hole yeah but i mean so you know like that that it, it should be the norm that we are creating spaces that work well for us and there is not one cookie cutter fit that should be the norm so i think those are great solutions that you provided him that's probably going to be life-changing i hope so it made me really think having like an aesthetically pleasing dresser that just sits there. <laughs> Why not a clear plastic drawers? Well, one of the things I notice with a lot of my clients when it comes to clutter and something, you know, my I, my father was a hoarder, and when he passed away, my brothers and I had to go and clear out his house, and we were just like, this was the third time over the course of our adult lives that we had to go through this. It's so emotional. It's so draining, and I'm all I wish was like, please do not do this to my own kids, right? <laughs> like I was like, I just don't want to leave this for my children. And one of the things I feel like I have really struggled with is like photos and how much our memories are tied to like mementos and family legacy and all of these things that are passed down from generation to generation that my kids could not give a crap about, right? And so it's like, why am I holding on to it? But I think there's something, especially when we when we struggle with working memory, that it's like, there's so much emotion tied into 
objects. I think more so for neurodivergence because it's like I forget something exists until I see it. And then it's like flooded back with all of the the meaning of it, right? And it feels so callous to get rid of these things. And so I think we get stuck in this cycle of like, if I get rid of something, I am basically turning my back on the memory. I'm turning my back on the person. There's something so personal about that. And I don't know if that's an ADHD thing or not. Maybe, you know, maybe people, maybe everybody struggles with that, but that's where I feel like the real barrier is for me. Right. Which is like, if I get rid of this, I'm essentially, you know, being this horrible daughter or granddaughter, great, -great, like, and so do you, when you talk about like working through trauma and like the mental health side of clutter, what are some of the things, I guess, some of the common struggles that you see with clients or are there tips to working through that stuff on our own? Because usually I say, don't do this alone. <laughs> you know, I see you're nodding. So this is obviously something you deal with a lot. Uh, what, what are some of the, what are some of the ways you walk your clients through that? When it comes to the sentimental attachment, that's not just ADHD individuals, that is across the board. And what happens is when we are thinking about decluttering, and it's something that is challenging for us, our brains immediately jump to the most difficult items to get rid of. And the most special or the sentimental, our brains fixate on that and go, no, 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 I'm not getting rid of that. No, no, no. And so for me, the approach is always to eliminate what I call the fluff, the stuff that you don't care about that takes up like 80% of the space. Once it's pared down, the stuff that actually means something to people is like 10, 15% of the stuff. And so it's focusing on the easy stuff first and reframing the decluttering. So anytime someone, like I'll go in for a consultation and, you know, I'll say, what are your top three things? What are the three categories that you love that, you know, you feel like it's going to be hard to let go of? And, you know, someone will say, "Mm, my closet books and my knickknacks from Europe or whatever. And those are the last three categories that we tackle within the entire house. We focus on the easy stuff because that is usually where the problems are. And then anything identified as sentimental tugs on the heartstrings, we wait until last. So now we've freed up a lot of space. We've practiced our decision-making. We have a better idea of what we want, what we don't want, and we've cleared up space for the things that may matter. Then it's a matter of looking at those objects and looking at them honestly. So I think it's natural, especially in our society, to assign emotional meaning and value to objects. So they represent past memories, events, experiences, and people. And when it comes to if you're, you know, going through a parent's home that you recently lost, anything like that, start with the easy stuff. Donate that, you know, crock pot and coffee maker and the 10 hair brushes. Narrow it down to something that really represents that person or that memory. Creating a small curated collection is my biggest piece of advice when it comes to sentimental items where you can actually 
enjoy it when the time comes. For me, um, you know, I lost my dad when I was 20. He was 42. And I got access to all of his stuff, but I knew that I couldn't take all of his stuff with me, you know, at 20 and throughout my life. And so I collected, like, I took his driver's license because it was something so everyday and normal. I took a little tassel off the handlebar of his motorcycle. I seashells because he was an avid beachcomber. So I collected this small collection that whenever I want to feel that connection, I can bring out a small tote instead of being like inundated with all of this stuff. I always say that sentimental items should complement and not consume your space. And that's where the actual value is. I'm even thinking of the fact that you said this is all psychological. You also have to be in a place that you are mentally okay to go through this because if you're doing this too soon and expecting yourself to be in an emotional state that you can go through this, I mean, it's different. And sometimes you don't have the luxury of being able to really take a moment to go through it. And sometimes it makes more sense to move things out of the space and tackle one thing at a time. But, you know, going through piece by piece, if it doesn't make you cry, like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to look at this. One thing I will say with Marie Kondo's method, I don't always believe that her method is valuable. And I've even joked on my own TikTok, like, anytime you think you're overwhelmed by organizing, just remember that Marie Kondo doesn't organize anymore. Um, so just like, keep that in mind. Right? Like, every, I feel like every mom rolled her eyes when we heard that, which was like, yeah, but obviously. <laughs> But one part of her method that I found to be really beautiful was that when she was ready to have her clients get rid of an item, she said, thank you for bringing me whatever it was, joy, pleasure, whatever. I remember my parents were redoing like all of our bedrooms upstairs at my parents' house. And I had to go through items that I haven't seen since fourth grade. I mean, it was like, and even longer. She had like my mom had my baby blanket and it was completely disheveled, like not usable. And she looked at me and she said, Do you want to keep this? Because my daughter I was pregnant at the time. And she was like, Do you want to keep this for your kid? And I looked at it and I was like teared up. I'm like, this has so many memories for me. It's no longer something I feel attached to. But thank you. Thank you for the memories and the joy and the thing that made you feel comfortable in this moment, but it's okay to get rid of. I don't think I could have done that at like 15 years old. I would have been like, this is not the right time. So I think that that's also important to keep in mind. Sometimes it's not the right time to go through the things that are really difficult. And sometimes you don't have the luxury of that and that's okay. But if you have the luxury of doing this at a point that feels comfortable for you, then I think that that's part of this too. Yeah. So there's a question from one of our community members that is awesome because I feel like every woman over the age of 30 is going to relate to this, which is the like aspirational clothing question, right? Which is, okay, we've got all the different sizes because someday I'm going to fit back into that. And these are the clothes that are like when I'm at my heaviest and all of the like, someday I'm going to fit back in that. So she says, so one of her questions is oftentimes the advice is get rid of the too small clothing, because if you ever get back to that size again, you're going to want to go on a shopping spree. But she feels like that's really wasteful. 
and a little too, you know, American capitalism, uh, you know, so what, what do you, what advice do you, do you have for somebody who's got, you know, six decades of, of their aspirational clothing still in their closet? So it's what I call a goal wardrobe. So that be it, you know, clothing that is smaller or bigger, whatever you want to get into, I call it a goal wardrobe. And of course, we want to create a wardrobe that honors and takes care of us right now in the body that we're in right now. And that's what we want the majority of it. But I'm not a fan of just saying, okay, if it does not fit right now, right this second, get rid of it. No, but we do want to manage it. So if we can set some boundaries and okay, 80% of my closet fits me now. I feel good in it. It's comfortable and I'm actually going to wear it. And maybe 10% is my gold wardrobe. Few pieces that like I really want to hold on to, to eventually get into. That's, that's what I aspire to achieve. And then maybe 10% is sentimental. Your prom dress or some college t-shirts or, you know, things that are meaningful, but not necessarily active. So it's okay to hold on to these things, but you have to set boundaries or else it will totally take over. And then you have no space for what needs to serve you right now. So I'm not like a black and white, cut and dry, get rid of it all, keep it all. It's we have to be realistic and we have to take into consideration changes and body fluctuations. And a lot of women have multiple sizes because they go up and down and that's fine. Let's have the majority be what you're wearing right now. And then a smaller percentage of, you know, the the up and down. It's just about creating boundaries. That's all. You're just reminding me of how soothing your voice is on your TikTok videos where I'm like, I just want Kayleen to like read me stories at night. <laughs> I'm sure you get that a lot. But I think it, it also ta- speaks to how important it is to not to have a gentle hand holding you, right? Like somebody who can acknowledge how difficult this is, but at the same time, kind of you know, gently but firmly keeping you on task, which is something, you know, I'm always like, don't do this alone. Find somebody who can keep you company. I think that's another thing with ADHD is it's really so much more helpful if we are not doing this by ourselves because we get so overwhelmed so quickly. I think that's a great way, actually, Katie, you know, we have our body doubling sessions in the ADHD lounge. I think that if tackling your closet feels daunting to you or your kitchen or your desk feels daunting to you, why don't you decide to use some of the body doubling sessions that we're doing to do this so that you have someone who's holding you accountable to declutter? Because I think a lot of people look at their space. I mean, I do this. I'm My husband is probably going to listen to this and laugh, but I'll just stand in the living room sometimes and be like, oh, there's too much clutter. I'm overwhelmed. It's because I'm seeing every single item at the exact same time. So I I think that if I'm, as I'm following your method of taking one section at a time and nobody else is around me to do it, to hold me accountable, I would love for people to do this virtually. And I am more than willing to be one of those people because I have a lot of stuff that I would also like to get rid of because 
things pile up because you just don't have time. And I think that even going to the sustainability piece of what you're doing, life happens, life moves on. And sometimes systems that made sense for you a couple of years ago need to be tweaked in order to fit the life that you have now. And I think that that would also be really important to touch on because I mean, I, I love organizing. I love decluttering. I think I'm also very good at it, but I also get overwhelmed and I have systems that I created before I had a kid and now it's, it needs to be tweaked. And it's not like a one size fits all approach that you never have to go back to. So I think that would be really cool to touch on as well. Yeah. I think a lot of the times people think organizing and decluttering is a one and done. And once I have an organized home and everything has a place, then okay, all right, we're done here. But you're not in order to maintain those systems, you have to create a routine. So decluttering and organizing, it is a lifelong task, just like showering, washing the dishes, all of the other maintenance tasks that we have. Okay, you just talked about things that people with ADHD do not like to do. So this might also be why this is hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. And we try to make it as positive of an experience as possible. Nobody wants to. I mean, I hate taking showers. Sensory overload. So really difficult, but it's something I have to do. So I try to make it as enjoyable as possible. That's what we're doing with decluttering and organizing. Nobody wants to do it. But if we can make it as easy as possible to get there and to keep it up, then that's what we want to do. So like I'm a queen of shortcuts in any way possible, but there's not a huge focus on the routine of staying organized. And I just did a video of it the other day of, you know, how to best keep organized. And it boils down to two things, in my opinion, it's working the system. So like, if you have a system in place, and it's not working, it's either that, you know, the system doesn't work, or you're not working the system. So for me, personally, I have really good systems in place throughout my house, everything has a home, but I'm very messy. I'm like a little whirlwind throughout the house but I have a routine of a reset. So everything can stay out throughout the day, but at night I reset the space. So that helps with my maintenance. And then also managing my expectations of what my space should look like all the time. Like it is okay to be messy. That is the way my brain is designed. I'm not going to work against my brain. I am going to become okay with being a messy individual and not make that a negative thing. So managing my expectations of what my space should look like, it makes the maintenance part so much easier. I love that. I was just even thinking of like making the bed. Like that's not always the goal of the day. My day can start if my bed isn't made. Like I do it like half the times. Yeah. I don't make my bed. Like I don't have the bandwidth to make my bed. Does it make me feel better? Like when it's done, I'm like, oh, look at me making a bed, but it's not part of my every day. And that's okay. It's not something I'm ashamed of. It's not, this is my home. And I think when you start looking at your home as 
It is my home exists to serve me. I am not the servant of my home. My time is not going to be wrapped around, you know, all of these chores and how it should look. And no, it needs to function for me the way my life is and the way that my brain works. And once it's kind of like a power play, once you position yourself like, I'm in control of this space, it takes away that, it like strips away that pressure and it just makes it so much easier to manage. I love this. I literally could listen to you all day. Right? Thinking about the pinch method, one of the things I talk about with my clients is how, you know, how I much I love the time lapse videos on TikTok because I'm like, here is somebody who doesn't want to clean their kitchen. So what they've done is they've made it interesting. They've put novelty in it and and they set up their tripod and literally recorded themselves on time lapse video cleaning their kitchen and turned it into an instructional video. So they like did all this work. They wrote a caption. They did all this stuff just to clean their kitchen, right? So I'm like, that's a great thing. And we all watch it. Like we love it too. So everybody's happy. So just finding some, you know, finding that approach, like you said. Now, get just my last question, um, and I want to make sure before I forget, is KayleenKelly.com, at KayleenKellyOrganize is Instagram and TikTok, both the same handles, right? So we'll have those in the show notes. Speaking of gentle handholding, I know if we don't live in Jacksonville, do you work virtually with clients? Does anyone on your team work virtually? Does that Does that even work? No, I tried it. But my community, my audience being neurodivergent, really bad at keeping appointments. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. So is that where the is that where the declutter kit came from then? Is that okay? So tell us about that and how we can find it. So the declutter kits are as close as you can get working with me one on one. So it's designed to lay out step-by-step how to declutter and organize your entire home. And it has all of that. This whole process really requires you to lean into self-compassion and become your own cheerleader and make this a positive thing where you're taking baby steps, but seeing big results. And so there are kits to guide you through and it's broken down into packets. So bedroom packet, bathroom packet teaches you the core categories, what we, how we break down the items and the products to use, good placement. So good storage solutions. It breaks it all down. So it's a ton of information, but it's really pretty. It's aesthetically pleasing. I struggle with reading. I can't stay focused and it's really, really frustrating for me. So the last thing I wanted to do was just write a novel. So it is visually stimulating and it's broken down into these tiny little bits that you can take. So in there are workbooks, so that helps you keep track of your progress and gives you a sense of accountability So it's as close as you can get to working with me one-on-one in a digital download. So accessible for everyone. And I have different, we've got a starter kit, which is the least expensive. So that tackles like your main areas of the home, bedroom, bathroom, kitchen. You can take it up a notch and do the full home. If you really want to get into all the storage closets, filing systems, sentimental items, get the whole shebang. And then I have the coaching kit. So that 
that touches more on the actual coaching and the psychology of it and the self-compassion and the understanding why I have clutter. Is it trauma related and discovering the story behind clutter, why it's there, and then working towards how to resolve it. So lots of options. I love it. I'm sold. I'm sold. I, I, I could use this for like every, I, I have so many people who I would not only want to buy this for, but for myself, I am, I am excited. We're kind of wrapping up on time and Katie and I have these quick fire questions. We started to ask our guests and I thought that this would be fun to start with. And we have a couple. All right. So first one is what is one word your family or friends would use to describe you? Three second rule, Kaylee. Three second oh. rule. <laughs> um, resilient. There you go. Okay. Oh, that's a nice one. All right. Most interesting hobby you picked up? Fly fishing. Fly fishing. Wow. Okay. Right. I feel like I have so many follow ups. Um, <laughs> and what is your favorite go to snack on a crazy day? Um, go to snack. Oh, so many options. Um, right now are pretzels, different flavored. My boyfriend's mom sent us this huge package of pretzels and it's all different kinds of flavors. And that's what we're living on right now. So <laughs> I'm always a fan of something salty and crunchy. All right. What's your most used emoji? Oh, the smile, last crying one. There you <laughs> same. I feel like that's same. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so, such a treat to get to pick your brain and even just have you have listened to your wonderful voice for, for an hour. <laughs> thank you. Well, I appreciate you guys letting me come on. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap for this episode of the ADHD Lounge Podcast. Thank you for listening and make sure to join us over at ADHDlounge.com. We've got resources, co-working, workshops, and a community of amazing ADHD folks just like yourself. And you can also attend these recordings live where you can ask questions and join in these discussions as they're happening. So make sure to head over to the ADHDlounge.com to join us today and you can find that link in the show notes. And if you've made it this far and you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us and it helps us reach more listeners who could benefit from these conversations. Seriously, do it. Go now before you forget. <laughs> <laughs>